it's a privilege again, as I say, to share to you from Scripture. Our reading tonight is in John chapter 21. John 21. Over the Christmas, East, pardon me, Christmas Easter period, there's my first mistake, um, we've seen appearances of Jesus in the garden, in the upper room, on the road to Emmaus. But now the scene is moving. We're moving away from those scenes. We're now on the seashore. So let me read you. We're in John 21. I make no apology. It's a fairly long reading, but uh, it's important that we get the scene from the scriptures. Afterwards, Jesus appeared again to his disciples at the Sea of Tiberias. It happened this way. Simon, Peter, Thomas, called Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them. They said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard this, it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he had taken it off and jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from the shore, about a hundred yards. When they landed, they saw a fire burning, coals there with fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have caught. Simon Peter climbed aboard and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153. But even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dare ask him, who are you? For they knew it was the Lord. Jesus took the bread and gave it to them and did the same with the fish. This is now the third time. Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. I would like to pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. It doesn't belong to me or to Kensington Temple. It belongs to you. It's God-breathed. And we pray, Lord, that you will breathe upon what I'm going to say, that it might become life and might become seed and bear much fruit. We ask, Lord, that when this time is over, we will be encouraged by your word to our hearts. Amen. Amen. Well, this is a really wonderful portion of scripture. If you're a preacher, you will love this portion of scripture. There's so much there for us. In chapter 20 of John, the key word was peace. Peace be with you, my peace unto you. The encounter with Thomas, the encounter with the disciples. He wanted to assure them of his presence, but also assure him, of his peace. His peace and his presence go together. When Jesus is present, peace is present. When Jesus is far away, then peace can so easily vanish from our lives. Of course, the answer is to stay close to Jesus, keep him at the center of your life, and then the peace of God can rule in your hearts. This chapter breaks into four. There's four things happening in the chapter. We're all going to look at two of them uh, this evening. The first is one to eight, the fishing trip, and nine to 14, the breakfast meal. 
So they split into two very nicely. Further on, it comes to the conversation that uh, Jesus has with Peter. Dr. R.T. Kendall dealt with that some weeks ago. And then, of course, the short conversation he has with John at the end. So it begins with the fishing trip. We've got to remember that even though there were appearances of the Lord, the, the, the truth of really what had happened had not really gripped their hearts. And we find there, it says, afterwards, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. Now, the Sea of Tiberias and the Sea of Galilee are the same. Tiberius was a Roman emperor. It was political to call it that after him. But the Sea of Galilee, the Sea of Tiberias are interchangeable. And it happened this way. And then John gives us the, num the names of the disciples who were present on that occasion. Time, no meaning other than those are the guys who were present. But then the whole situation changes. Someone steps forward. And we find there, it says there, Peter says, I'm going out to fish. Now, that's where Peter had come from. He'd been a fisherman. And, you know, it's so often that when we are in a state of confusion, when we don't know what's happening, the natural instinct is to return to what we're familiar with. And that's exactly what Peter did. He said, we've seen Jesus crucified. I've denied the Lord. And all those emotions are flying around. And his natural instinct was, let me get back to what I'm familiar with. But he hadn't been told to do that by God. It was self-will. He showed lack of patience. He returned to the familiar. Now, friends, when we find a Christian life difficult, and it can be difficult, we have challenges that come along. Some of you are now facing challenges at this moment. Some of you are facing the challenge of financial hardship. Some of you are not well. Some of you are confused about all the changes that are taking place. But please, the answer is not to go back. The answer is to come closer to Jesus. So Peter decided he'd go fishing. But Peter was already sharing, or it became evident, about his leadership gift. Now, you say you'll know a leader when people follow them. And we're told there, in the next verse, in verse 3, it says there, we go with you so he said i'm going fishing the other disciples apostles they said no we're coming with you his leadership gift was already present the problem was he was using it incorrectly he was leading people away from god rather than to god now you might not think you're a leader but everyone has influence influence I remember when I first became a Christian, the people that had an influence upon me in my church, those who preached, those who prayed, those who evangelized, they had an influence upon me. I looked at them, and I'm glad to say I wanted to be like them in that way. And we have to be very careful how we conduct ourselves, what we say, how we behave, the stories we tell, the narrative we pass on, because if we're not careful, we'll take people fishing for fish when we should be encouraging them to fish for men. And that's the challenge. And I've got to say, in my opinion, Peter took a backward step in this. So does your life lead people towards God or do you influence them in other ways? I know that for some of you, this time of change in the church 
has been difficult. I, well, please, there's no point in ignoring it. We, we know that and we're praying for you. But the answer is to come closer, not to pull away. We are aware of challenges and we are seeking the Lord that we might move forward and receive everything that he has for us. Well, there we have it. They've arrived at the seashore. They decided to go fishing. And then it says they struggled all night, but they caught nothing. Now, that to me is as much a miracle as them catching a big group of fish. Because to fish all night and catch nothing, of course, um, is a challenge. We're going to look at Luke 5 in a little moment. So there they are, professional fishermen, not long out of their trade, three years maximum. And here they are, unable to catch any fish. Now, every preacher will be able to give you an insight into that story. But you know, friends, what it says to me is this. Without Jesus, we can do nothing. They went fishing on their own initiative. They went fishing in their own strength. It's no surprise there was no fruit for their labors. We have that wonderful verse in John 15, 5. Without me, you can do nothing. I've got to say that in my life and in my ministry, there's times I've done that. I thought I've got certain gifts. I've got certain abilities. I've never said I can do this without God, but I really have moved ahead without him. Friends, if you're in a period of barrenness, if you're in a period of lack of fruitfulness, the answer is to realize that without him, you can do nothing. Whether you're in the ministry or whether you're involved in a factory or an office or whatever you're doing, listen, whatever you're doing, you cannot be fruitful without him. So here we have a boat full of men who were confused and who decided to return to the familiar and found that even with their skills that they had, they caught nothing. And then Jesus appears. Now, they don't recognize him as Jesus straight away. He said, they said they're early in the morning. So I'm assuming that they've been toiling all night. The sun's coming up. Maybe the, the, the visibility wasn't perfect. But whatever it says, the disciples did not realize it was Jesus. Again, let me just pause. Do you know, sometimes because we're so caught up in doing our own thing, we're so caught up with fishing, we're so caught up with toiling that sometimes maybe we can't recognize the Lord. You know, that old saying, don't leave the house without him, is so true. In everything we do, we commit all our ways to him. Look for Jesus in everything. And even in those moments of despair, those moments of confusion, look to the seashore because you may well see him standing there. Well, he called out to them. He said, friends, haven't you caught anything? Now, he knew the answer. I think he wanted them to admit what was happening. Now, that word friends has been translated a few times. And John has a phrase he loves his little children. But one commentator says it's the word boys. I thought that was interesting. You know, boys, boys, have you caught anything? Are you aware? Have you caught anything? Now, the answer is quite curt really no quite simple i suppose there's nothing more annoying than somebody asking you if you've achieved success when you haven't 
There's nothing more annoying than someone saying, have you caught any fish when you haven't? And that's exactly what happened. They had to confess that this idea of Peter's, all their efforts, all their toils resulted in nothing. But then we find that Jesus intervenes in this situation. All is not lost. Friends, nothing is ever lost if Jesus is in the vicinity. It says that Jesus stood on the shore, but they did not realize it was him. He called out to them, friends or boys, have you caught anything? A sharp reply was no. And then he encourages them to do, throw your nets on the other side, of, on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. Again, I've called this little portion the challenge of obedience. Now, when all the facts are saying to you there are no fish, when you've worked all night, you've used all your talents, this guy turns up on the shore who you can't see is 100 yards away, 100 meters away, and you're not sure who he is. Is he just someone being clever? But the challenge of obedience. And sometimes in the challenges we face in church and in our lives, it boils down to this. Do we obey what God says? It's not glamour. We live in a society where obeying, doing your own, um, it's do your own thing. You know, I was, I'm a product of the 60s. The old adage was, do what you like as long as it doesn't harm anyone. I'm afraid the adage today is do what you like or it harms someone that could give two hoots. But they came and he spoke to them concerning this, and they had the challenge of obedience. Sometimes the only difference between a full net and an empty net is doing as you're told. I'll give a little illustration. Is there someone you need to forgive? That can be the difference between a full and an empty net. God told us to forgive. Forgive even our enemies. Is there lack of, have you stopped praying? That can be the difference between a full and an empty net. He said, Gordon, we, we want something a little bit more razzmatazz. You know, we want the five steps to revival. Let me tell you, this is so practical that it works. You know, the difference between a full and an empty net is within your hands, within your heart. And when Jesus says to you, throw the net on the right side, God will be there to bless. But there may be something you need to do. Maybe you need to say, Lord, I can't do this in my strength and throw yourself on his mercy and his grace. Well, it's interesting that this is almost an identical story to the one found in Luke 5, verses 1 to 11. In verse 5, it says, they worked all night. And in John, as we've just read, they worked all night. Um, but they were told by Jesus to throw the net on the other side. But because you say so, in Luke 5, they were obedient and um, they caught nothing. Um, it talks about large fish in Luke 5 and in Luke 20, John 21, a large number of fish. Um, in Luke, Peter falls at Jesus' feet. Um, in John 21, he, Peter declares it is the Lord and he takes off out of the boat. Very similar stories. Boats, fish, Peter. Now, what is the difference between the two? Well, the first encounter was their call to discipleship. 
in Luke 5, they were called to be disciples. They were told to leave fishing and Jesus would make them fishers of men. So in one sense, their act of going fishing now, disobedience is too strong a word, but it really, they had missed the point. He said, I'm going to make you fishers of men. But they went back fishing. So maybe they began to realize about the fish, the boat, the large number. They began to realize that was part of the identity of Jesus. He was reminding them that they were called to be disciples first. And I think in John 21, they were being called to be apostles and to go into the ministry. Very simple. Okay. Now, if we don't get the discipleship bit right, then we won't get the ministry bit right. See, not all disciples are ministers, okay? I'm sorry to talk that terms, but it's the easiest way to communicate. But all ministers have to be disciples. So my ministry is dependent upon my discipleship. So if I'm walking with the Lord, I'm an effective minister. If I'm not walking with the Lord, then I'm doing good works, and I'm fishing with a net that will not catch anything. And so we have the two contrasts. And in their minds, they must have remembered their calling. They must have remembered the net going out. And maybe somebody said, hey, I remember this happening before. Well, it was Jesus reminding them that they were called by him to leave fish and go for men. And um, that's exactly what he said to them. Well, we've found that the whenever there's obedience, there is a reward. God blesses obedience. It's not glamorous. It's not exciting. You know, you can't write a book about it. But let me tell you, our Christian lives sink or swim on the matter of obedience. Now, that isn't law and oppression. It's doing what you know God wants you to do. If you don't know what God wants you to do at the moment, carry on doing what you're doing, but do it better. I often say if you're you're interested to know what God's will is, if he hasn't spoken to you, you're in God's will. In fact, if God doesn't tell you differently, you're in God's will. So stop fretting and get on with it because you're wasting time when you could be catching men. Okay, well, we move from the challenge of obedience. Then we move to the shore and we discover um, that Jesus is waiting. Verse 7, it says, the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. Isn't it interesting? The one who loved, the one, the disciple whom Jesus loved, the one who was with him at the breaking of bread, the Last Supper, he recognized Jesus first. And the love always recognizes first. He said, it is the Lord. So John came to the understanding who it was first, but it was Peter who got out of the boat and swam or walked in the water towards Jesus. So we have spiritual recognition and we have enthusiasm to get to Jesus. You know, we talk about extroverts and introverts so often, very much in ministry, we talk about extroverts and introverts. Let me tell you now, God couldn't give two hoots whether you're an extrovert or an introvert. If he's got your heart, he's got you. We need extroverts, we need introverts. Being an extrovert, I don't know why we need introverts, but I'm told we do. There we are. But that's the way we are. We are all needed. We need the Johns who can recognize Jesus in the distance, but stay in the boat. We need the Peters 
who on hearing it was Jesus, have the enthusiasm to get out. I love this. It was Peter that led them into the boat. I'm going fishing. It was Peter that was to bring them out. He was the first off the boat. He was probably the first in the boat. Well, when they arrive, it's uh, again, I'm watching the time. You've listened very well. Um, it says the Lord, and he went in after them. The other disciples followed, towing the net full of fish. They were not far from shore, about 100 yards. Well, that wasn't far. And when they landed, they saw that breakfast had been prepared for them. When they landed, they saw a fire burning coals there and fish on it and some bread. So Jesus knew what was going to happen. He, it was all planned. There was no surprises. He didn't have to send out for takeaway. He didn't have to somebody nip down the fish and chip shop or anything like that. Well, at breakfast, it wouldn't be open, but you know what I mean. He was there. It was prepared. He knew what he was going to do. He was going to have some conversations. He's going to have a conversation with Peter, as RT showed us recently. He was going to have a shorter conversation with John. But before that, he wanted that fellowship, the relationship to be built. He didn't want his first encounter with them to be um, a theological encounter. He wanted them to become familiar with who he was and understand who he was. And what better way of fellowship than over food? They'd worked all night. They were starving. I'm sure they were ready for this breakfast. But there's an interesting verse there. In verse 10, it says, Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you have just caught. Now, it might be the preacher in me, but I just find that a fascinating phrase. First of all, there was fish. So did Jesus have too little fish? that he needed some of this fish. But the phrase, bring the fish you have caught, uh, took my imagination. And uh, very simply, did they really catch these fish? Didn't Jesus send the fish to the net? Wasn't that the miracle that in a sea or on a coastline where there were no fish, suddenly there was fish? And couldn't we say, rightly, sorry, you might have put the net out, but Jesus caught the fish because if he hadn't have sent them, you wouldn't have been able to pull in the net. The other point is this. How lovely that Jesus wanted them to make a contribution to this meal. They'd worked all night. They'd caught fish. He didn't say, bring the fish I sent to you. He didn't. He included them. He wanted them to feel part of what was happening. And he says very simply, bring some of the fish you have just caught. No saying you failed, I sent the fish. I did the miracle, it's not you. I'm sorry I'm using my hands a lot. Lyndon Bowery will tell me off tomorrow for using my hands so much, but there we are, it's just the way I am. You'll have to forgive me. I'm not, this is not a medium I'm very good at. So there we are. So Lyndon, you can cross that one off your list for tomorrow. Okay, so bring some fish you have just caught, and he included them. The great thing about the ministry is this. We don't catch anyone. We don't save anyone. We don't heal anyone. You know, we don't encourage anyone. It's all the work of the Holy Spirit. And yet, we preach and folk are saved, and God allows us to be part of it. 
He allows us to preach and his Holy Spirit convicts. He allows us to teach and hopefully people are encouraged. He allows us to pray and hopefully God steps in in a marvelous way. So even in this scene, bring the fish you've caught. Jesus wants to include you. You say, well, I've been toiling all night. I've caught nothing. Well, there's other verses of scripture that tell us, you know, in the morning we will be blessed. We must carry on and not grow weary. So please carry on. Don't always assume that if you're not having a fruitful time, it's because you've sinned or you've failed. For these guys, they were in the wrong place. They weren't supposed to be in a boat. They were supposed to be on the shore in that way. Well, we're almost there. Thank you for listening. That's a warning to the technician boys that we're almost there. And it says there, um, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dare ask him, who are you? Well, it was obvious now. They could see him. Uh, he was there. He'd cooked breakfast. His voice, the whole thing. There was the reward of obedience in that way. Um, and the whole point of this miracle, lots of things were being taught. More things were going to be taught in the conversations. But Jesus identified himself by repeating a miracle he did before. So they knew it was him. He ministered to their physical needs because they'd worked all night and were hungry. Friends, we've got the whole package here. He ministered to their physical needs, their spiritual needs, their emotional needs. They have been devastated by the crucifixion, Peter particularly because of his denials. And yet here we have Jesus saying, come on, boys, I've cooked some breakfast for you. They knew it was the Lord. Then it says Jesus took the bread and gave it to them, and he did the same with the fish. Again, I wonder, did they think about the feeding of the 5,000? They were present. Were they thinking, hang on a minute, fish, bread? I don't know. But all they know is this, they dare not ask him. No one said, is it really you? They didn't do what Thomas did, unless I see, unless I touch. It was quite obvious by the repeat of the miracle, quite obvious by his voice. And there was one other clue, if I can use the word clue. And I've said this on previous talks. It says there, he took the bread and gave it to them, and he did the same with the fish. At that time, they would have seen his hands. And now I will hold them up. My hands, no marks, no marks. The hands of Jesus would have pierced and would have marks where the nails went and as if there were in any doubt the final underlying if i said proof that it was him was when he handed them some fish and they saw his hand he handed them some bread and they saw his hand don't ever be confused about messiahs anybody that claims they're a messiah you know unless they've been crucified and raised from the dead, just say thank you very much and move on. Our Saviour, our Messiah, is none other than the one who went to the cross. After this, Peter is reinstated again, lovest thou me? And of course, Peter and then John's conversation with John. But here we have this appearance. And John just says to us at the end, this is now the third time that Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. There's a point coming when he was going to ascend to the Father. There was this period of time 
when he was on earth. You might think, well, why did he not just rise from the dead, go straight to heaven and get the Holy Spirit down as quickly as he can? And that sounded a little bit irreverent there, get the Holy Spirit down as quickly as he could. No, no, no. The disciples had to know. They had to have seen the risen Lord. When Judas Iscariot took his life and Matthias was appointed as a replacement, one of the criteria to be an apostle was to have seen the risen Lord. And that's why Paul later was included as the apostle. Many feel that he should have been the one that replaced Judas, not Matthias. I don't think so. I think Paul, but he saw the risen Lord on the road to when he went to Tarsus. No, not Tarsus, forgive me. And um, when he, he met the Lord on the road uh, in that way, I think it was Damascus. Forgive me, I got confused. Um, that's your homework. Find out where Paul's conversion took place. But the important fact is that he proved himself to be alive. Now, in your situation, whatever that might be, may I just say to you, Jesus would love an opportunity to prove himself alive to you. It's important to him that you know he's alive. It's important to him that you know that he died for you, that he rose for you, and he is living now. And at this time, he's what the Bible calls interceding for you. He's speaking. Jesus wants to speak on your behalf. When I stand before God and God says to me, Gordon, you're a sinner, I have to say, I am. But Jesus stepped forward and says, I took his sins on the cross. He's a forgiven sinner. See, in Kensington Temple, we have everyone in Kensington Temple is a sinner. Some are just saved and forgiven. Others are not. And we'd love you to consider becoming a Christian. Saying to God, my life isn't what it should be. I've broken so many of your commandments. I've tried my best. I can't do it on my own. That's, that's a great confession I can't do on my own. That's why Jesus went to the cross and gave himself for you. Well, time's nearly up, but please, let me just share a prayer with you. Read those scriptures again. I'm sure, I, I do know, there is so much more there. But please, be encouraged. You know, God still has something for you to do. So stop fishing and start ministering. Let me pray. Our Heavenly Father, we prayed earlier that your Holy Spirit might take your word and use it to your glory. And I pray, Lord, if I've said anything, Lord, that you are unhappy with, may everyone who's heard my words just forget it. But Lord, if I have said something that's from you, I pray that they will not forget it till they've done something about it. If there's anyone there, Lord, who doesn't know you, I pray that even now they will say this short prayer and invite you into their hearts. If you want to become a Christian, just repeat this prayer out loud if you want or in your heart, wherever you are, it doesn't matter. Jesus is listening. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the gift of your son who died on the cross for me. I'm sorry for my sins. Please forgive me. Make me a child of yours and give me the assurance that my sins are forgiven and I'm now part of God's family. Amen.